Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. 2022 marks the 50th anniversary of the beginnings of the gay liberation movement in New Zealand. It was back in 1972 that the first groups of gay men and women got together to try and decriminalise gay male sex and end discrimination against gay people. To commemorate that anniversary, Kiwi author and historian Brent Coots teamed up with artist George Hardian to create a very novel new book called 1972, A Year in Focus. In this interview, I talked to them both about the project and the stories behind it. Brent and George, really nice to have you in the studio. Brent, obviously, I've, I've chatted to you a few times. Yes, great to be back. Yeah, George, first time. Welcome to the studio. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having us here. Now, we're going to be talking about this uh, new piece of art and a book that um, has just been uh, published. So tell me about what, what the incentive was. What, what was the reason for doing it? 1972, A Year in Focus, comes out of um, an interest in queer art. Uh, and queer artists, but um, also queer documentation of queer culture. Uh, this this year is 50, the 50th year of the gay liberation movement in New Zealand. Gay liberation was founded in 1972 uh, in Auckland, very quickly spreading to Wellington and Christchurch. And I also wanted to mark that 50th anniversary. I had a hunch that maybe it might slip past most people, but... For me, as an historian, uh, it's a turning point. Um, the law change that takes place later in 1986 or, or in subsequent years is the outcome of that turning point in 1972. So the book, 1972, A Year in Focus, uh, has a detailed essay about the events of 1972, and I've clipped it and kept it just about 1972. It features the photos of John Miller and Max Otley, who were two heterosexual photographers, but who were queer allies, lots of gay and lesbian friends, and took pictures of the very first um, consciousness-raising event, a gay day happening, or this kind of um, this language from the 1970s of a happening, uh, which took place in Albert Park. And then there was, uh, Max takes pictures of the first ever um, gay liberation movement activism, which was a zap of the um, Birth, Des Deaths and Marriage Registry office, where, they, where, where a, a male couple, same-sex couple, demanded to be issued a um, and applied for and demanded a marriage certificate, um, which of course they were denied. Um, so a zap is when you turn up unannounced and demand services. And it's a very, it's a, another, again, another word from the 1970s where everyone had zap packs telling them how to go and do a zap um, as, as consciousness raising is also something that's very much from the 1970s. So the photos are from uh, those events, but we also have a number of primary documents which we collected from different archives, particularly Lagans in Wellington. Uh, then there's a very detailed timeline in the final section. And of course, having uh, read some of your previous books, they are tomes, they're traditional books. This is very different. This feels almost uh, like a piece of art, as though it's, uh, it's paper-based. So it's, it's not like a traditional book. So uh, before we go into a little bit more of the, the history and, and the, um, the, the contents... Um, so, George, you you were behind the creation behind of the, the design and yeah. the binding of that. So, so explain what the process was that led you to this particular design. Yeah, um, when Brent came first, um, 
we were talking about how uh, we could do um, a publication on 1972. And um, when, when I was thinking about it, it was more about the collective voice, about a group of people, a group of different people coming together and doing something collectively. So there was the idea of, instead of having chapters, there was the idea of having sections coming together and creating something more um, more solid or more uh, together. The other part here is to think about how we divide them into sections and how we've managed, or how I've managed, well, how I wanted to, to bring the book, um, to divide them into those sections and use the materials that were appropriate to those sections. The first section was, was more of a foreword. The second section was um, an essay by Brent, and I chose to use pink paper. Um, and the third section are the photo photography of Max and um, John. And I chose a smooth paper there in a way to refer to the photography of the time. The third section, you've got a, a blue version here, but there's a, a lavender section as well. <laughs> um, I, I initially used the lavender section, and uh, in a way it was referring to um, the, col the word lavender in the text, which, uh, which was, uh, I think Brent, correct me here, it was the Lavender Menace? Yeah, um, a, a group of gay men um, split away from the Gay Liberation Front, which was one of the early, the, the, which was the first group in Auckland, the Auckland Gay Liberation Front. Um, the Gay Liberation Front only lasts for a year before it splits into two or three groups, and they split uh, a group of more effeminate gay men um, identifying is is not fitting into that sort of cis mode uh came out with a group called calling themselves the lavender menace <laughs> but i ran i ran out of lavender paper <laughs> so i used the blue paper and i was when i was using the blue paper i realized that the spine was starting to look like the the trans flag oh, so right. it was it was it was something that happened um just by chance and the, the fifth section was uh, about the timeline, and I chose a, a more heavier stock just to, just to give it a, a bit more form. But at the same time, that pink paper and that blue paper, or the green and the lavender, they also refer to the activism. Because uh, during that time, during the 70s and the 80s, that kind of paper was used more by the printers, and it was more readily available. So it refers to that activism part. And even in, in the primary documents initially, Brent had um, a small printed leaflet, which was in green. Mm. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and so it was refer referring to that activism as well. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, when I look at it, it, it feels as though it feels really retro as though it's the, the, like a manifesto. It's the kind of thing that people would have been creating back then. Um, and I think that's really cool. It, it obviously very delicate. You wouldn't want to um, it is, wear it or is. whatever, but it, but it is really quite um, quite extraordinary to see. It was great to be challenged by George because, I mean, I like a spine. <laughs> I like a spine. And it's um, beautifully hand-stitched, and you can see the stitching. And for me, that was like, is it, is it a book? Um, you know, but it is a book, yeah. The, um, the other things that I refused to do was I didn't want to have any straight lines in it. Right. So every line in it is 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 in a way skewed. Um, even the footnotes are put in a vertical, um, um, in a vertical um, side. Um, I, I, I really wanted to, to challenge a bit of the traditional ways to, to put a publication together, but at the same time not to sacrifice legibility or readability. Mm. So it's still, it has still a nice flow throughout, 
without using um, straight lines. It was more skewed lines and diagonal lines. Even the page numbers, if you look at them, the lines between them are skewed as well. And, and it feels like a historical document. It's almost like you'd, you'd find it in a, in a dusty box in the library somewhere where the, from, the, from those times. So I, I really like that. The aesthetic of it is re very, very, very cool. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to do a series of these publications. We have plans and, and underway for, for a number of them under this imprint, um, Queer Art Narratives, because we, th we, we are interested in, in recording those queer artists who have been marginalised and completely forgotten or, or overlooked. Um, and this, we thought, was a kind of symbolic way of starting with something a little bit more historical. Um, yes, both artists are heterosexual, but they are providing the only images taken mm. in 1972 of uh, queer cultural community events, queer activism, um, so I thought that was a really, a really symbolic way of starting. It also says that we're not just doing gay and lesbian, trans, uh, queer artists, but we're looking at anyone who is, we're interested in anyone who's um, recording um, queer culture. And, and the other thing is that the, the law reform would never have happened without straight allies. Yeah, It was exactly. just impossible. Exactly. And, and even the changes in, in cultural changes and the, uh, the changing attitudes... Uh, in society, the bulk of those were straight people. So um, it, it, just briefly, because of course we want people to get the book, <laughs> um, the key players at that time? Well, I guess the, the key player that people remember today, because it was um, um, well publicised, was uh, Nahuya Te Awakotuku, who was using the word Nahui, surname Volkering at the time. Um, she's denied a visa, to go to the United States, um, when she asks why, she finds out it's because she um, they identified her as lesbian. Um, the previous year, she had done an interview during a, a women's liberation movement protest, and she had um, announced that she was sapphic, um, <laughs> yeah. which uh, is an alternative word used at the time for what we might say is lesbian. Um, and, and that happens in March, and she. Um, she goes up to the university, she makes a speech at uh, open mic, uh, um, lunchtime open mic sessions in the quad. She gets together a very small group of people. Um, they initiate setting up the Auckland Gay Liberation Front. She's involved from March till June. And then she steps, she, she actually announces she's stepping back and she, she will be involved in Māori activism. One of the things about the book is I wanted to also highlight a lot of the other people that were involved. And so what I'm really proud about it is um, managing to track down and contact and find out contributions of um, lots of other different activists uh, and and, find, and get quotes from from them from from overseas. Um, Michael Ross is living in the United States. I was able to to email him um, uh, at the opening. It was really nice to have um, a number of those activists from 1972. Malcolm McAllister, um, who lives in Auckland, was there. He was with the Auckland Gay Liberation Front. Um, Vernon Tilly Vamawa uh, flew up from Wellington. He was with. Um, uh, Wellington Gay Liberation, which was the name of the group in Wellington. Uh, 
Gavin Young also uh, came. Welby Ings was here from Auckland as well. It was fantastic to have those people there. It's great uh, to have an, um, quite a number of others that I reference and quote. Some are dead, uh, some are still alive, because I think that the nature of the movement was a collective movement. There was no leader. And I think today people find it hard to understand the the uh, structure and the the way the activism was carried out because it's we live in a quite a different world and we do things quite differently today. So I'm hoping that I've honoured it in a historically valid way. I noticed one of the names was Robin Duff, of course, yeah. who, who died of cancer some years ago. I, I interviewed him many, many years ago in Christchurch. Um, you're right, time marches on and people can get forgotten, people like him, yeah. you know, once they pass. And- um, an, in- an interesting example is, is at Laggins, there's, there's lots and lots of black and white photos of, of activism, but none of them, are, uh, or very few of them, are named on the backs yes. of them. Uh, and, and even um, going down to the Alexander Turnbull and sitting there, and in fact it was um, uh, Vernon who um, came along at one point and was able to point out a few people, but we, you know, he, he's looking at them and, 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 and we don't know who these people are, and yet it yeah. doesn't seem that long ago, but it is 50 years. Yeah. Um, so queer history has often been lost uh, and it can easily be lost. It was also people didn't take photographs, they didn't record names, they, it was, um, things were a little bit um, on the download because of the homophobia in society where people didn't want to be named in a newspaper article as, as much as maybe they would have no care today. Well, I was going to say, it was a very brave thing to do to start this and and not just from the we may get arrested thing but the actual social um, problems that they may get fired they may get beaten up they may be ostracized by their families so this it was it was a very brave thing to do yeah any any thoughts on that um yeah definitely the calibration ideology was firstly about um changing the way gay people felt about themselves and lesbian people and the word gay at that point was used for lesbian as well i mean that's kind of an interesting thing that's changed that language changes um in fact there's a huge debate about whether they should call themselves gay as an identity descriptor um there's a debate and they're they're debating should we stick with homosexual which was um being rejected because it was a term that medicalized uh same-sex attraction as an illness and then there was a big debate in um, in Auckland here um, at one of the meetings. Shall we call ourselves homophiles? Uh, and, you know, it's taking from the, uh, the American homophile movement. Uh, and eventually they thought, well, we could use this word gay because it wasn't used before 1972. And I also think that people don't realise that, that it's a brand new word that's being used as an identity um, descriptor, shall we say, as a name. Um and, and that ideology, I think, is really important. And the book emphasizes that there are these larger historical forces, larger than people, that are, you know, would this still have happened if Nahuya had been given a um, visa and gone off to the United States? I would say yes. The gay liberation movement would still have been eventually established in New Zealand. It might not have been 1972, might have been 1973 or 74, but it would have happened. Um, so what are those historical forces? And gay liberation ideology is one of them. It was first to change gay and lesbian people's way of thinking about themselves and then to change the world. Yeah, there was law change. It already there were homophile law reform groups 
in New Zealand, um, New Zealand Homosexual Law Reform Society. Uh, but the liberation, liberation, liberation movement is quite a different kettle of fish, and it's following that um, ideology that comes out of America and of in many Britain, where the manifesto was written and comes to, to New Zealand from from London. Uh, so it's about changing social attitudes, and hopefully those the, they were those activists were embracing that ideology and beginning to become braver. And I guess we, we need to look at the context of the times as well, and not just New Zealand, but globally. So the Stonewall had happened around 69, is that right? Yep. There was a civil rights movement um, in, yep. in America. There was the feminist movement right across the globe. Yeah, and especially in New Zealand. And a lot of those, um, a lot of activists who were in second wave feminism also become key activists mm-hmm in the gay liberation movement. So there, so there was this whole groundswell of wanting change for in a whole load of sectors of society. Yeah. And Māori were demanding more as, as well, demanding their rights and so on. So it was it was a it was the milieu of the times, wasn't it? Yeah, so and, gay liberation and other historical forces. Medical, medical opinion was changing 1972, May 1972 is when uh, the New Zealand uh, an Australian college of um, uh, you know, doc- doctors um, decriminalise homosexuality in New Zealand. They take it off the list of mental illnesses. It's May 1972. It's interesting that the gay liberation movement is being established in March, April, May. So we're now 50 years since the doctors made that change. Now, doctors didn't change overnight. Lots of them continued um, treating patients. But officially... It changes in May 1972, 50 years ago. At the same time, there was religious opinions were beginning to change. Church, progressive churches were beginning to make statements in support of law reform and, and, and beginning to change their, their religious ideology to something that was more progressive and more accepting and more inclusive. And I guess things like the Kinsey uh, report, the Wolfenden report, those are starting to yeah. make differences in, in, in attitudes as well. Yeah, Kinsey's and, 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 um, and Hooker's uh, investigations in, in, in scientific research was, was helping with those medical opinions. And they were, that, that, that kind of research was becoming embedded in the public consciousness. I guess the thing that you've highlighted too with this book is is the power of visibility, because this was a conscious choice for people to be visible and its visibility and identity that has has changed society. Yeah. People could see that, well, they're no longer these people on the fringes who do bad things. So that that was a really important part of yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, though, one of the things that comes out of it is there's constant complaints that there's not enough people involved, <laughs> that uh, people will turn up for the social events, mm-hmm. uh, but they wouldn't turn up for the meetings where they talked right. politics. Yep. And I think probably nothing's changed. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, they wanted people were happy to turn up to the barbecues and the, the house parties and the dance parties, but they weren't necessarily um, that keen to turn up to the activism. So those who were involved in trying to make concrete changes were always very frustrated. I noticed in the timeline the very last event on the, around the 17th of December was the Christmas party. Yeah. For that, so <laughs> yeah. that, that was probably better attended than, than yes. the other things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so just wrapping this up, if people want a copy, where do they get a copy of the book? We have made only 100 copies of this. Wow. These are plus all, some APs. Pl- yeah. Plus 10 <laughs> APs. I mean, if you think about I printed every single one and I hand-stitched them <laughs> one at a time and glued them myself. Wow. And um, we, 
we have tried to send them out to libraries yep, so. and distribute them as, as much and, and as wide as we can. Um, so primarily it was an act of queer gift giving to get it into oh, libraries in nice. nice. uh, mm. New Zealand and overseas. Um, there is a few available, um, but um, uh, primarily the libraries came first because um, we saw it as something that was um, a gift for this 50th anniversary. In respect to, to, to Max's and John's Mahi as well here, because they've donated the photos as well for us to publish into... Um, they were not donated, gave us the permission to, to print 100 copies and, and, and put them out um, as well. There, there's that part too. That was Brent Coots and George Hargian talking about their project 1972, A Year in Focus. Just a little note, you can find lots more content, interviews, reviews, opinion and so much more on my website, andrewwhiteside.com. While there, uh, you can also sign up for my regular newsletters. I am Andrew Whiteside, thank you for listening and I'll see you soon.